Okay, so we are in 1 Peter 2, are we not? 11 to 25, good. Okay, I'm just going to read this to us before Gary speaks. So, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed." For you were sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. We all right. This might work. Yeah, good. So you may have picked up a couple of things from that. A couple of times they used the word slave. So for a little while when I was preparing, probably for about three days, I really couldn't see past that and I found it really difficult to get to grips with this passage, but then I'm quite grateful for the time to be able to spend that. Because when you get given a passage, you have to kind of work out for yourself what it means. And one of the things I know that Tony and at THCC we've often said is if we go through passages, we have to cover what's in there. So I will cover that a little bit, but I'm not going to go probably as in-depth as some people might want, but I will cover it a little bit. Oh, standing up here reminds me of uh, going to bed. Not that I'm tired. Like, can you hear that, that creak? Have you... well, there's one floorboard next to my side of the bed and it creaks and Naomi always had a go at me every time I come to bed after she's already gone to bed. Creak, creak. So yeah, I'm a walker, so I can't stand still. Anyway, um, living godly lives in a difficult world. So yeah, I found it uncomfortable going through this passage. And I've come up with three kind of points I want to make. Trust God in what he calls you to. He will bring you through it. Second one, know your place in the battle, but that God's battle, but it's God's battle, not yours. And the third one will be the cross has done it all. So I don't know if you noticed just at the beginning there. So I've done this study actually in the ESV just to avoid the word slave. It just helped me to expand my own mind to like be able to get it in and then introduced it back in for myself later on. Um, I found it quite difficult, like I said. But then one of the things that I have learned to appreciate about all of the letters 
is at the start of them, they always kind of like start with dear beloved or friend or something along this line, yeah? And then what you see in Peter is he starts the same way. And I think what you see in the first one and a half chapters is it's kind of an encouragement. Caroline started done last week. She talked about the identity in Christ. I found that really helpful. Um, and I will come on to a couple of bits that I really found helpful in a bit. But then we get to verse 11 where Peter says, in the NIV, she, he says, dear friends, in the ESV, it says, beloved. And, uh, and Peter's really just trying to get next to us, I feel. He's, he's empathizing with us. He's putting our, his arm around, well, them at the time, but now as we read it. And it's really just getting next to us. One of the people that I really um, learned to appreciate probably 30 years ago, and that was about the time when I moved from the lighthouse to THCC and there was a guy in the church actually a resident DJ Luke Williams it's his dad Lee he's like uh, most people won't know him now but he's like a very stocky guy 30 years ago he was like you'd probably say he's all beefed up and a bit muscly the last person you'd really think would be the one that really gets next to you cuddles you keeps eye contact all of this sort of stuff but I remember 30 years ago just the first conversation having with him and he was just focused and his eyes were there and he's kind of like, I don't know how to describe it, you know? He probably said Puss in Boots. Have you ever seen Puss in Boots? <laughs> the little eyes. That, that's Lee Williams. He does this kind of thing and, and I really found it, it helped me. Like, I, I could just talk and he would listen. And I'd almost say for Lee, his problem was is he didn't know when to stop. He couldn't sit next to you without giving you a hug. He couldn't pass you without giving you some sort of hug. And I really learned to take that into my life when I went onto the mission field back in 2007. I was working with refugees. Um, the difference between back in 2007 and 2010 when I moved to the UK and done homeless work really was that people that were in the refugee centre really had nothing. If they said they were hungry, it meant they had needed for two or three days. It was different issues for people in the UK. Not any better, just different. Um, one of the things that I, you know, just bringing some of that one-to-one -one stuff into my life at that point really helped me to be able to empathize, but also be able to help the guys that feel like they've not really got much to be able to be more open. And it broke down lots of barriers. And I know it's different for different people at different times as well and depending on what your relationship with people is. So when we talk about uh, how do we live godly lives in a difficult world, well, one of them is don't be the same as everyone else. You know, try to be more, more like what I'm seeing at the beginning of this passage where you're trying to em empathize. And I, I love the fact that there's been times when um, both in Greece and then working here with the homeless, you know, and I built, I was working with the same people for 13 years or something like that. And it reached a point where there was men that had never had a hug and would be happy to just come straight in with me and have a hug. And for, and for me, 15, 20 years ago, that would be very uncomfortable. Especially when you think about, I know, Danielle's laughing, she thinks it's uncomfortable now for me. Um, but anyway, you know, like, uncomfortable, it's, you know, like, when, sometimes when people are smelly, you know, sometimes people are smelly and you still get in there. 
But it reached a point, especially with a couple of people, where I didn't even think about the fact that they stunk or even that they'd wet themselves or any of these issues. Because all I cared about was just that I, I loved this person and it was a love that came from God. More recently, coming out of COVID, there was a guy that I, um, that I knew and every time you got a message on the phone or you got an email, it'd always start with, oh, good morning, the day's beautiful. Didn't matter, it could be torrential rain and a thunderstorm, but it'd be the day's beautiful, everything's great. You know, you're doing a great job. Thank you for all you do to serve. And then come the question of whatever he was wanting to ask about. And I see that, and I just thought, you know, I felt so different. Just the start of the message was so different, and I felt so different. I started to introduce it into my emails as well. And as I've done that, I begin to see that actually things began to change. Because the people I would email, where before I might get a no, not now, maybe later, I think I was just put up, put up the uh, list of people. Because as soon as I started my email, they'd want to help. And that's the way, and I knew that that's the way I felt when this other guy would email me. I just wanted to help. So that, they're just two simple ways that I think that I've introduced into my life. Because I've seen God at work in other people, and I've brought that into my, my own way of working. And that's what I see here right at the beginning of, of this passage. And so, why is, so what is the thing here that Peter's talking about? So he's empathizing, dear friends, as foreigners and exiles. And then comes the big kind of like hand grenade, I guess. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against the soul. I don't know for you, for me, um, what would I say? There's definitely things in my life where I would look at, um, you know, and there's probably one specific thing that at the moment it's something that kind of was much more regular when I was younger and it's got further and further apart when this sort of thing happened and it's kind of like related to my, what I say, like a temper type thing, um, you know, and I'm not too, I don't throw dummies and stuff like that, but... I get frustrated, it becomes almost like a game of tennis. If you know, like, you hit the ball, it gets hit back twice as hard. And, and that's kind of like something that I've kind of struggled with over many years. And, and every time it comes up, I feel very frustrated that I've reacted in a way that I didn't want to act. And so, you know, I can go months, years sometimes without reacting at all. But when it happens, I know what, what I feel inside is that nothing's changed. What's changing here? I'm not changing, I'm not moving forward. Um, and then other times it's kind of, um, I just feel alone. I'm in the middle of this, no one else struggles with this, I'm on my own. It's one of the things that I love about THCC and even hearing the testimony here. You know, there's just an openness and an honesty. You know, I'm not saying we, there isn't other churches that have it. What would I know? I've only ever been in the lighthouse in here and now they're the two together, so I don't really know, right? But. It is an encouragement to think, and I hope that it is at lots of churches like that. But you know, we're not here to condemn each other. We're here to support and encourage each other. And I think that's what I heard when I picked up from Caroline for me two weeks ago, talking about identity. And it was the real thing that stood out for me was it's the we, not the me. And I'm not on my own. And I don't know if anybody here has a similar sort of thing. Well, it doesn't have to be a similar thing, but you have something in your life that just keeps propping its head up. And when it does, we feel like nothing is changing and I'm all alone. 
I just want to re-emphasize what Caroline said for you guys last week. It's the we, not the me, and we're in it together. So the real thing that's, that really hit home to me after reading this through a couple of times was waging war against our soul. And just um, when I think of what we should or shouldn't be, what I should or shouldn't be doing, um, whether I am capable of doing what I should or shouldn't be doing. I always think of Gideon. And in Judges 6.15 it says, uh, Gideon says to God, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the weakest in my father's house. I definitely feel that. In my own words, I'd probably say, I'm just a cockney boy whose dad is a road sweeper. He did wear odd nail boots and I did grow up in a council flat, if you know the song. But, um, but really and truly, I get it, what Gideon's saying. I can stand here, you know, associate pastor, THCC. The only word that really I can own is the one that Steve Patch used, which he calls me the uh, pie and liquor, which is the vicar. I'm not a vicar, but I can do pie and liquor. <laughs> Um, yeah, and uh, so, so how, do, how do you come to terms with it? I really, I honestly stand here and I can look at it and I see people and I think, they could be a better pastor. They could be better at doing this than that, what I've done, you know? And, um, and I feel, I often feel like Gideon, like I'm the least in the least house of everyone that's here. It often comes to me like that. I want to read to you the next verse that's in Judges 6, and it's in Judges 6.16. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall shake, well, shake, won't shake, we'll strike down the Midianites as one man. You see, Gideon wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong when he said he's not able to do it. Just as I'm not wrong when I say there's other people here probably more more, as more gifting to be able to do certain things. I don't think that I'm wrong in saying that. I know that I'm not capable of doing the job that I'm being asked to do right now. But I also know that, that one of the things that I learned when I was in Greece was that the American guys always used to have this saying. We'd often be praying miracles, really. We'd be praying for miracles to see people that had never heard of Jesus that were quite militant in their, in their Islamic beliefs, coming to Jesus, that's a miracle. We're asking for that every day. One of the things they always used to say is they used to say, you plus Jesus is always going to win. You know, and they'd say that to each other, to me. No, I didn't quite get around to saying that, but it's the truth. No, it's not because of what we can do, but it's because of what Jesus can do in us. Second Corinthians 12, 9, it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If all you hear from that is, God's grace is sufficient for you and you are made perfect in your weakness. That's what I want you to hear. Now the challenge for me, before going onto the mission field in 2007, I was in construction. So to be good in the eyes of the world has never really been a massive task. 
And it's not because I don't value the people that are homeless and I don't value uh, the people on the building site, but society will look at many of the people that I've worked with on the street and see a heroin, crack-using, alcoholic, smelly, homeless person. And the people on the building site, I can tell you, honesty wasn't a high value within many of the people, not all of them, but within many of the people. Swearing was part of general vocabulary. And, um, you know, many a times, I would order the stuff for my firm, and then, um, and then I realized that my boss has got me to order a whole, like a third more than I needed, just so he could take it to another job and still charge it to that job, and then charge to the second job. So this was a common thing to happen. So for me to stand out wasn't a massive thing to me to be able to do. To give you an example, I was once, I was working above a toilet, not plumbed in, no one was on it or anything like that, but I used to have a hammer in like a horse to here. And as I lifted up my knee, the hammer came out and it smashed the lid of the um, toilet system. And uh, so my natural thing was just, oh, I <laughs> broke the toilet system, go tell the uh, manager. So I go and tell the manager, and he was really surprised. To me, it was just standard, right? You make a mistake, you tell. That's it, full stop. But no one had ever gone to him to tell him that this, anything like this has happened. So he's really surprised. From that moment on, any time that there was any question and, that, and I was involved, I always got the benefit of the doubt because I stood out amongst the people that I was in. I was standing out against my world at that time. Um, there was another time when I was on the building site. Different site, often many of the people cross different sites over time. Um, one closes, one opens, that sort of thing. And I had a project manager, so not a site manager, a project manager is kind of the site manager's boss. And, um, and, the, and the man, I've heard swearing, but this man could not communicate without swearing, didn't know anyone's name. If you walked onto the site, you'd think that most people were called some sort of swear word. It wasn't very nice. But it just got to me. I had enough. You know, like a couple of things had gone wrong. I'd had enough. So I just, and I just went to the guy, went to the site manager actually, not the project manager. I just said, like, you've got to sort him out. But they said, no chance, can't change. This geezer can't change. Anyway, so in the end, I ended up making a complaint. I've only ever made that one complaint in my whole life. Read it down, sent it in. I'm dyslexic. I don't really write very well. So I did that. So it was a major thing for me to do that. The answer was, Gary's a da-da-da-da, and tell him to F off and get another job. Which I didn't really mind. I wasn't employed by him. I just go to another site. But then the site agents, the site manager, a couple of the um, surveyors, then went back to the project manager and said, no, 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 it's not happening. They wasn't going to have it. I like, to I like to think that that was partly because they knew me. We had relationship. And because of the way that I had acted and reacted around that building site, meant that they, they, they wanted me about. Now, that's one thing to stand out from the world that you're in. And you know, in the verse, in, in verse um, 12, it says, see your good deeds. The people will see your good deeds and they will glorify God. I can't say that all of a sudden lots of people started glorifying God. I also can't say to you that the influence that God had on me that was impacting them didn't pay a greater significance than I know right now. I couldn't tell you whether it did or it didn't. But I know I had lots of deep 
conversations with people um, about Jesus. Some of it came out of that whole situation. And I look and I think, I stood out from, from the rest of the world. But it's not because of what I do, but it's because of what God is doing in me. Because like I said, it still remains even today that there are moments when I get frustrated and I get annoyed and it overspills. And it's not what I want, but it's what happens sometimes. You know? And, um, but I am grateful to God that he has still been able to use me in the worldly sense. So, that, so that's the first thing I'd say from, from that example. But the second thing is to say, yes, I stood out, but it's not enough. God doesn't say, if you stand out from the world, you get salvation and that's it. We're called to be perfect. And like the Jehovah Witnesses, they believe it's the, it's the best 147,000 people will get to heaven. But if you've heard that, they're wrong. It's just as simple as that. They're just wrong. It's not about being the best. It's about being perfect. And, um, and if you find yourself in a situation today where you don't know Jesus, but you also realize you're not perfect, well, today we've got a special offer on. <laughs> Follow Jesus, salvation is free. Okay? And I can't, I can't tell you that it's going to be a really easy ride from now on, but the salvation bit is true. It's free. Now, I know that... Um, I want to read you out this, Philippians 4.7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now although salvation is free and the journey might not be overly easy, it doesn't just all of a sudden get better and easy, but we know that in every situation God is there with us. Starting at THCC as pastor, one of the privileges has been is I've spent a fair bit of time with some people at church that are unwell. Some people, well, I think for all of them, not just because they're unwell, but because of their age as well, they're, they're closer to physical bodily death here than they are to their birth. And a couple of them are in the very last stages of their life. So I go to them... Uh, pray for them, I come up with, you know, I ask God to give me something that I can give to them to encourage them. It really makes no difference what I take to encourage them because whenever I leave, I'm far more encouraged by what they're saying and doing than what anything that I can bring to them. And so I definitely feel that I'm experiencing, I'm experiencing God working in them. You know, just Steve Patch won't mind me sharing this with you, but... I turn up there, and every time I've turned up, he's in a conversation with one of the doctors or one of the nurses, and his conversation is always about, do they know Jesus yet? You know, and and uh, I don't have that urgency, but Steve does. You know, and, uh, and I just found all of the people that I am trying to encourage and build up are just such an encouragement to me. I'm going to read you um, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And I think I'm, I'm experiencing through other people's lives, actually God is right at the centre when you need him most. 
right at the centre whether you need him or not, to be honest. You just got to just got to build your relationship with him. My second point, and it will get a lot quicker now. Um, knowing your place in the battle, but it's God's battle, not yours. For time, I'm going to skip reading that again, but you can open up your Bibles if you like to uh, 13 to 20, and you can follow it from there if you like. So we are living in a, in a time when really we don't like to think of ourselves as having masters, right? Masters is the word that they use in the ESV uh, and in the NIV. And, you know, it's not something that I think we regularly see. I've not seen it in church. I often hear people praying and they use the word Jesus, use the word Father, Holy Spirit. But in my time, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say as in a prayer, Master, help me to be subject to the calling of suffering. And, um, and it's a hard one for us to really get to grips with and understand when the NRV uses the word slave and says, be, be faithful to your master even when they're not good to you. And to be honest, when I first heard this, the first feeling that came over me was, no thanks, can I move to the next passage? But there's a reason why it's there, and it is useful, and if we begin to understand the context of it, it makes a little bit more sense. And to other people um, around the world, this will really hit home and make sense to them. So if we think about the time when Peter's writing, and what, who, at, the time, at that time, Nero is, the, uh, is a Caesar in the Roman Empire, Nero was known as a bit of a tyrant, and there was plenty of people within the Roman Empire at different times were known for that. But Nero stood out amongst all of them, even to the point that many people think that Nero was the one that burnt down the whole of Rome. So some people have called him, you know, like the crazy Caesar or the mad Caesar. You know, and when you put it into perspective like that, then it begins to make a little bit more sense. And the way that I was able to make it a bit more sense was to say to my, put myself in a situation where like, last year at the AOG conference we had a lady from North Korea who spoke about her situation. And I think if we think of it from the perspective of someone who's in a place like North Korea, where if you stand up, the best that you can hope for is probably a bullet straight to the head. You know, if you're gonna stand up against the authorities, you know, worst case scenario, maybe you're just going to carry on living in the way that you're living and be tortured. And so there's an, there's an aspect of this where it's Peter writing to a people at a time. You know, and, and how we translate that we need to do it in context with what's happening. But there is also parts of even that passage where I think we want to take on. Like I think today we want to respect authorities. I think that we want to be respected, don't we? When we send our kids to school, we say to them, listen to the teacher, do what the teacher tells you. You know, when your children come home, you tell your children, like, you know, they basically got to do what you're told. <laughs> Maybe a bit more empathetic than that, but long and short of it. And really, none of us want, um, none of us want anarchy, do we? And not even the anarchists do, because the first thing you'd do if you went and joined the anarchist party is they'd give you a list of rules that you should be following. So even they don't really want that. So earlier on I talked about 
my reactions versus my actions. And maybe that's something, if something came up for you, maybe that's something that comes into this part where we, we, where the battle is not ours but God's. And maybe we need to give some of them issues to God because it's not our battle. And I just want to assure you that even though in Peter he's not saying to come up and rise against the rulers because they're bad people and the rest of it, there are times in the Bible when, um, when we do rise up. And just one example is um, Peter and John, when they've just healed a man, and in Acts 4, 17 to 20, it says, But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in, the, in his name. But then they called them in again, commanding them not to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to, or to him? You are the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And so I think when we talk about coming up and going against the rule, we're not talking about coming against a politician because their views on things are different to ours. But when we start passing laws as a country that prevents us from being able to tell people about Jesus, that's the point when we go, we've got to stand up. This is not right anymore. And we've got to do it because it's getting in the way of the cross. And that's where I come to my last point and we're coming to a conclusion here. So one of the things that I felt earlier on in this passage when we talked about not wanting to see people go through hardship and also not wanting to go through it ourselves, is I thought, why do I feel that way? And I think partly because it's an injustice and we don't want to see injustice for ourselves or for others. But justice is a two-edged sword. On one hand, we definitely want that for everyone. We want justice, right? But on the other hand... What does justice do for us? Because we don't get justice. We accept that Jesus has died on the cross for us. And that's not justice. That's Jesus stepping into what we deserve. What we deserve is to also die. We don't deserve anything beyond this life because we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God, fallen short, and we need the grace of God. So that was just my last thought really, was just when we think about justice and injustice, let's try and remember also that we live by grace, but that's also an injustice to some degree. And I'm just going to finish by just reading the last, the last bit of Peter. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was, dis neither was dissent found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, 
but continued to entrust in himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were spraying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of the souls. I don't know if you have people that pray here um, at the end, but if there are people that want prayer, these are some things that I thought might be useful. If you need prayer today, maybe you feel like Gideon, that you're not able to do the things that God's asking you to do, then um, I'm happy to be around to pray with you, and I'm sure there'll be other people. But if you don't know your place in the battle, then please come and get prayer. But most importantly, if you don't know Jesus today, then today, right now, is the best time you'll ever have to know a bit more about Jesus and give your life to the Lord. Remember, the battle is not yours, but God's. And he can bring you through it.